Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. It is time for another female first, which means we are once again joined by our good friend, Eves. Hi, Eves. Hello. What's up? Oh, man. We're always so excited to see you. (laughs) I know. I'm excited too. It always feels like a celebration. It does. It does. And even though we're still, you know, we had our one brief cheesecake champagne moment from the studio in person. Other than that, we're still coming from our home studios. It does feel like, oh, yay, we get to see each other again. It is a celebration. I totally agree. And we just had a rousing discussion about horror movies, which I'm very excited about. Because for a while, we were doing like horror movie reviews at the beginning of these. (laughs) (laughs) We stopped that pretty quick. But uh, (laughs) tis the season, so it's allowable now. I mean, I'm ready all the time, but yes, I suppose. Not everyone is into not everyone's into heart. That's cool. But uh not to tease you listeners and then not tell you what we were talking about. But I, I did want to ask you, Eves, because we also a long time ago we talked about like talent shows mm-hmm. and kind of infamous talent shows in our lives. And you are an excellent writer <laughs> and performer. Um, do you still do you get nervous when you're performing in front of people? And I mean, is that something you've always been into from like childhood? 100% I still get nervous. I usually moderate that by breathing. Like breathing has been a thing that's <laughs> yeah. really helped me, but I'm 100% nervous. And I was not, I don't historically do not like being in front of people. Like I'm a very, what people would think of as a like stereotypical writer. Um, and that's like <laughs> wanting to be in a closet all day long, which I guess is like in podcasting, we can be in closets now. So it kind of works out. It's true. <laughs> yep. I don't like to be the center of attention at all. I don't like to be in front of crowds. Crowds really freak me out. So I guess, honestly, like now that I'm thinking about it, that one talent show that I did when I was a kid was kind of me stepping out on a limb because, you know, I was always into like the arts and forms of storytelling. It was in like in mild plays, like nothing serious or anything, but I did do like performance things, but it was never something that I was like, this is my time to shine. I'm in the spotlight. This is where I'm meant to be. Like never that for sure. (laughs) I love that. I like that you went for a pose. (laughs) Yeah, me too. In this this telling, I like that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I had to embody Mm -hmm. that and that was not what I was. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I still get really nervous too. I I find this really interesting about performing for me is I'm both very nervous and I also really love it. Mm -hmm. But it's it's very, it sounds silly to say, but I love it when it's going well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When it's not going well, I'm like, never again shall I do this thing. Mm -hmm. But when you have that like synergy and vibe with an audience the nerves can kind of work in my favor, I think. And I do really enjoy it. But it's something that every time I ask myself, why am I doing this? This is, I'm so scared. I'm so miserable. (laughs) Why am I doing this? Yeah. I think I'm the same way, except like the anticipation is what gets me. Like I get sleepless the night before, whenever, uh, and knowing that something is coming Mm-hmm. And then I black out during often, especially if it's like us giving speeches or having panels and such, mm-hmm. anything like that. I 
blackout. I'm like, wait, did I, did I do okay? What did I say? What did, what did I say? Can someone tell me? And I feel like during that time, I definitely respond to uh, people's reaction to me. So if I can get one or two good responses, then I'll focus on that. Mm-hmm. Which is why you plant people in the audience. That's my new discovery. Is at least planting people. Like you have to laugh at some of the things that I say, please, Aww. or I might pass out. That's a good and then after the fact. You know, being like, okay, I did it, and feeling like I did something really huge, as if I just ran a marathon because of that little high. And I'm like, yeah, <gasps> okay. <laughs> I mean. Planting sounds so nefarious. It could also just be you have supporters who are sure. there. Yeah, sure, you they're, they're all forced to be there. <laughs> right? Yeah, I didn't threaten uh, the life or promise drinks or something. Hmm. I had one of those things. The reward of the feedback and the gratification that comes from the audience response is definitely something that helps. But um, I... It's not something that I would run toward. You know, like, it's like, I can do it and... It's great and it's definitely rewarding. And I think one of the things about it is too, like if it's something that I've, like if it's something that I've created, it's really rewarding to share it with people and to be like, yeah, there's this thing that I did that came from my own weird mind melds and Mm -hmm. from my own hands. And there are other people that are getting something out of this enough to be able to make noises or, you know, look like they're enjoying themselves right. in some way. But being yeah. solo, like having someone else there mm-hmm. is also very helpful. Being solo when all the the lights, the glory, and the pressure is just on me, that also definitely makes it a lot more difficult. Oh, yeah. For some reason, you know, you have those memories that just come back and torment you, and you're like, why? Why? Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, I used to give comedy shows to a very, you know, unwilling audience of my family. And I remember I went through this phase where I told knock-knock jokes, but I clearly didn't understand the setup of knock-knock jokes. And so one of the jokes I told was like, knock-knock, who's there? Garbage truck, garbage truck Hugh. Oh, it smells. Like, that was the joke. (laughs) Um, And for some reason, that joke haunts me. (laughs) It worked. Yeah, it still feels. It worked. It the delivery me. was everything. <laughs> and my older brother was like, that's not funny. And my mom was like, shh. <laughs> yeah. At least your mom was supportive. She was very, very, very supportive. I have the dabbled in like comedy and improv in that level. And I don't think, I think I just get so nervous and timing is so key in comedy. But I did enjoy it, like that feeling of making people laugh and like they were connecting to you. My bad knock-knock jokes aside. But uh, I wanted to bring this up because you brought somebody that I actually have heard of and I'm very excited to talk about. Yes. Uh, So who did you bring for us today, Eves? Today is Moms Mabley, which is not her real name. Her real name is Loretta Mary Aiken, but she is famously known as Moms Mabley. And yeah, so what was your, what was y'all's, if any, I don't know, Samantha, if you were familiar with her before, but Annie, what was your relationship to Moms Mabley? I had definitely seen some things that had her in it when I was growing up. And it was one of those things where my dad, he liked a lot of, and this is also just when he grew up, but to me, old, older things. So he would constantly be watching them. And I remember seeing and hearing some of Moms Mabley. However, I'm not sure 
I would have recognized the name other than I had seen Marvelous Mrs. Maisel recently. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. And it, mm-hmm. it just like brought all these things back. So it was from like a young age. And then there was a long period where I hadn't seen anything or heard anything from her or about her. And then when I saw that, uh, Wanda Sykes says, Mom Maples on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That's a lot of <laughs> <laughs> It is. It all kind of came back to me. So I'm very happy. Uh, I was happy to look more into her, and I'm happy that we're talking about her today. Did you have a a history with her, Eves? No, I didn't. And I I think, and just backing up a little bit, like Moms Mabley is a she's a comedian. Like did a lot of work on stage and in the vaudeville circuit. She was also in films and appeared on television. So she had a huge like rise to stardom, but, you know, didn't necessarily garner a lot of recognition before that time where she was really popping and did mention of her and recognition of her and her legacy did kind of dwindle a little bit after she passed away. But no, I didn't, I didn't have much of a relationship to Moms Mabley, but I'm super glad that I learned a lot more about her because she had her hand in so many pots. Like she was a part of so many different, fascinating, cultural, musical, storytelling realms. And clearly, clearly has influenced and had such a big hand in being a pioneer in comedy. Um, But it's not, it's, I didn't know a ton about her story. And I'm really grateful that I got to learn more about the history that she was in because it's so integral to things that I care about, like, you know, the Harlem Renaissance and storytelling and music. Um, So, yeah, excited to talk about her today. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. And there's a lot to go over because, as you said, she had her hands in a lot of pots. She had quite the life um, Mm -hmm. and quite the impact. Yeah. So why don't we get started? Let's, let's. So first, I guess we'll talk about her first, which was that in 1939, she became the first female comedian to appear as a solo act at the Apollo Theater. It was in Harlem, and it was really noted for all of the Black performers who launched their careers there um, early on. And she did a lot of work in advocating for civil rights through her comedy, um, really kind of merged social issues and political issues with the comedy that she was doing, First first was really catering to Black audiences and then later on moved on into white audiences. And that's kind of where her mainstream, I guess you would call it, success came into play. And then the other big thing about her story was the speculation around her sexuality, around her queerness, around her like being gay. I think some people have called her the first out lesbian comedian But it's reported that she had relationships with men and women, and she wasn't really open about her personal life a ton in in interviews, although she did reference sex a lot, like sex and sexuality in her performances. And it's something that was really subversive in many ways. So that's one of those things in her story that has been speculated about. And I think it's really nice to try to put a label on things and, and, and make it you know, something that is st- a standout in her biography. But I will note that on the subject of sexuality, just to put a content warning here, because there is mention of sexual violence in today's episode. So um, just wanted to make note of that up front. Yeah, yeah. 
And I, I can't wait till we talk about, because I'm always so fascinated when people are able to kind of have these juxtapositions that they embody and make into art. And, you know, one of hers was, she kind of, like, the, as the names moms might imply, she mm-hmm. kind of presented this very, like, what we would say is, you know, almost a desexualized, right. um, motherly figure. And yes. she would be very <laughs> sexual in, yeah. in, her, in her performance. Which, yeah, I mean, comedy I find, I find really fascinating and, and powerful in a lot of ways in the commentary it can make. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to dig into that. Yeah, me yes. too. So we'll start when she was born, which was sometime between 1894 and 1897 in Brevard, North Carolina. There's a year discrepancy because we don't know when she was exactly born. But she did say in an Ebony article that when it comes to her age, moms is as evasive as a hostile Watergate witness. Signs of the times. There are a lot of signs of the times in her (laughs) performances, obviously, (laughs) because she was performing at a specific time. But she was also talking about so much topical, so many topical things in her work that, you know, it's often dated like that. (laughs) But (laughs) she she didn't tell specific details of her life to a lot of interviewers. And her parents died when she was really young. She was mostly raised by her grandmother. And she was raped by two men in her community. And by age 15, she had given birth to children whom she placed for adoption. And later in life, she did have more children. So she began her performance career at age 14. She was helping her family out. She joined a minstrel troupe, which was that toured across the United States, which was a big thing at the time. Um, She first started for Black performers and what was available to them, where they could actually go to perform and make money for it, um, was within these Black spaces. So when she first started performing, she included singing and dancing in her acts, um, and she performed with people like blues singer Bessie Smith multiple times. And growing up, she moved up the eastern coast and moved to Ohio. She met a performer there named Bonnie Bell Drew, and she encouraged her to go into show business. She ended up going to Pittsburgh, got a role in a traveling play called The Rich Aunt from Utah. It's kind of like the rest is history. She started her career in performance pretty early and just never stopped. <laughs> never. Um, and she had a really long career. Like, that's the other big part of yeah. her story. <laughs> yeah, so she mm-hmm. changed her name to Jackie Mabley when she went to show business. There, the story is that a family member didn't want the family name Aiken to be attributed or associated with show business. So that's why she changed her name to Jackie Mabley. But obviously from there, she later went on to be called moms, but there's a lot of her work that is from before that, and that is not within that persona to which she's attributed Jackie Babley. But um, yeah, that and that name is said to be attributed to the performer Jack Mabley, who was an acquaintance of hers. And she once said about him, he took a lot off me. The least I could do was take the name, <laughs> which I just <laughs> find very funny. Like, I'm going to figure out how how I can be repaid. And naming is so important. And I'm just like, wow, that's that's actually very meaningful because a name is a big deal. That's Mm -hmm. true. And especially, I mean, at the time, there wasn't like Google. But now, if I was Googling, you might help them boost their results. (laughs) (laughs) Look at you. 
thinking like a true millennial. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Not ashamed. <laughs> the child of the Google era. That's right. <laughs> um, she moved to New York in the early 20s. And in the 1930s and 40s, this is when she was performing vaudeville sketches and monologues on the Chitlin Circuit, which was a group of performance venues where Black entertainers were welcome to perform in the Jim Crow era. So she was a regular in Black theater reviews in Harlem in the 1930s, and she was putting in work. So she opened for orchestras at places like the Cotton Club and the Savoy. Um, she worked with Zora Neale Hurston on the 1931 Broadway show Fast and Furious, a colored review in 37 scenes. It would take forever if we just sit here and listed all the things that she did, but she did a lot of work in that arena. She was also featured in films. So the all Black cast films that were really popular at the time that were kind of catered to Black audiences, some of those films were The Big Timers, Boarding House Blues, and Killer Diller in the 40s. And by that decade, she was also performing stand-up comedy. And like we said, it talked about at the top, like she really helped build the genre. Like she was very integral and a pioneer in terms of the growth of the genre and the type of stand-up that she was doing where she had this social and political commentary. Under the guidance of the vaudeville team Butterbeans and Susie, she developed Moms as a solo act. And this was the act that she's the most famous for. She became the only woman on the TOBA circuit. And TOBA just stands for Theater Owners Booking Association. That was a vaudeville circuit that a lot of Black performers went to. So she was the only woman on the TOBA circuit to perform comedy without a male counterpart. And as her mom's act, she wore a house dress. This is, this is, you'll, so you can see this in a lot of places. You'll see it on her album covers. You can go and listen to her work right now. It's on streaming. You can go watch it. You can watch her film. So a lot of the fortunate thing is that there's a lot of her work is out there for us to like be witness to today, um, which is not always the case. So it's, that's a big privilege. But she wore a house dress, floppy shoes, knit cap as her persona. That was Moms. And she once said about the name Moms that, I'm just a mom. A child is born and it ain't no good. Nowhere, no how without a mom. I'm that mom. People talked about how it said that her the nickname moms came from the fact that she was super protective of the performers that she was surrounded with. And so she kind of had that caring persona, um, which was just a persona. It was, it was just that. And I know that you mentioned the Annie, the kind of the discrepancies or dichotomies between these roles that she was playing. Just out of curiosity, like, what did you think when you saw the role that she was playing and, and knowing, I guess, a little bit about how that wasn't, it was completely a persona made up and it wasn't who she was necessarily in that moment? Right. So when I, I my first memories of this, I was pretty young. And her acts, for people who haven't listened to it, can get quite... What's the word a lot of people use? Ribald? Like, it can get pretty, um, I don't want to say scandalous, but that is a word like people would use. Is like, oh, this older woman, this older black woman is talking about like how she wants to have sex with younger men or whatever. So I think a lot of that went over my head as a young person. But I remember thinking that I 
I really loved, there was something about like this just willingness to embrace that and to, and people laughing at it and me knowing like this isn't, like I haven't seen something like this or this isn't quote unquote like regular ladylike behavior, but she's going against it and people think it's funny. And so for that, I found that that's one of the things, like it's not like I remember a particular act necessarily, but I just remember watching it and feeling like almost uh, liberated almost. Like, wow, this is somebody who's doing this and getting laughs and it's not what women usually do. And it felt, I don't want to attribute this necessarily to her, but to me, it felt like a really like brave and kind of, (laughs) I don't know, like inspired. I don't know. It was weird. I just remember watching it and thinking it was funny, even though I didn't get it. Like, Mm -hmm. because, because it felt so new to me, I guess. Maybe I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but you are. Yeah, I, I follow you. Yeah, that's that's what I remember the most is thinking, like, ooh, she shouldn't be talking about that, but she is. And it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it was disarming. She did go on later to talk about how much of her life she spent as this persona. So she started it before she was the age that she was portraying, which was on the more elderly side. She was playing in her younger and middle aged years. And she later does talk about how she didn't regret how long she played it. Like, she was fulfilled by it. and But it did feel a little weird when she all actually got to the age that she was portraying and she was still doing <laughs> right. that. Yeah, but right. it was disarming to a lot of people. Initially, the it was, she was performing as moms for Black audiences. And she was still challenging what was deemed appropriate for a Black woman to say in public and on stage. And, you know, this, it was, it was created. It was a created persona. Her, her comedy was often fictionalized. So the stories she was, were telling were stories and she made, she did satirical songs. So based on real songs, she would insert her own narratives about, uh, you know, younger men a lot of the time and not liking older men. Um, these fictional relationships that she had, fictional events and occurrences, like dealings that she had with the White House. Um, So a lot of her stories as well that she was telling on stage and in her performances just were made up. (laughs) She was (laughs) never married, but the persona of moms was in her routines. Um, But she credited her sense of humor to her grandmother on the 1964 album, The Funny Sides of Moms Mabley. She did talk a lot about, um, like, she didn't, after she began performing on the Toba circuit, she didn't live below the Mason-Dixon line again. Um, she would say things like, she would refer to the South as that other country or a foreign country. It's clear, and for obvious reasons, you know, why she would deride the region like that after her background and what she went through herself and knowing, also being so conscious of the civil rights issues and clearly the type of person to take a very vocal stand against them, why she would have that kind of portrayal of the South, even in her work. And she, a lot of her work was satire. She would talk about gender and race and war. And she even said in one interview, the things I record, very few of them are jokes. <laughs> and they were <laughs> funny, though. Like, if you go, right. I still laugh at them today because, you know, stuff can stuff can get dated and, you know, everybody's sense of humor isn't for every person. But 
I genuinely find myself laughing out loud to a lot of her jokes and just thinking of how some of them were coded into where they were insular jokes. They were inside jokes for a lot of Black people, but she was also able to have such a widespread audience, like so many different types of people in her audience over time. And that that was, you know, a testament to the work that she was doing. She, her criticisms and her challenges were really layered into her humor and her songs. And a lot of them may have seemed really absurd and ridiculous on their face and also including her delivery. So I can't do her delivery right now for you. But like after listening to this, you can go and check out some of her work and just, you know, see how her delivery was, what her vocal quality was. She had kind of this raspy voice on the deeper side. But, you know, her, she had a very specific way of of delivering the messages and her messages were often ones of protest. And yeah, so that was, that was a through line in her work. first appeared on vinyl in the 1956 Vanguard Records release, A Night at the Apollo. And this was around the time that she really blew up in the 1960s. That was a time when comedy albums were also garnering a lot of steam and she became a household name. So she signed with Chess Records and she released her first solo comedy album, Moms Mabley on Stage. She was famous for her live shows in mostly northern U.S. cities. And she appeared on a lot of TV shows like the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, the Merv Griffin Show, the Ed Sullivan Show on ABC's music scene and and others. So her audiences were becoming a lot more white. And her non-threatening persona as this matronly person who was dressed a certain way, who didn't appear to be sexualized um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, but was saying a lot of sexual things. It was an approachable persona for a lot of people. So it was a way of easing a lot of the messages that she was actually talking about. And like things like segregation and war. And she was saying stuff that was so heavy and loaded and political and people were laughing like they were hysterical they were you know her audiences responded really well to the things that she was saying and she got a lot of love and a lot of applause when she would come out and that's even though she did become more overtly political in the later years of her career she did speak out about how little progress there had been for the visibility of Black comedians and Black representation on television. So things that are still being talked about to this day. She talked about the consciousness of that, that so many of us Black folks have in the U.S. of that, going back to that duplicity, that dichotomy of being both, like the, the, the state of being desired and shunned at the same time is a lot that went into it. And she did say once, a white man loves the Negro until he gets what he wants from him. But she was popular. She acknowledged how much hard work and practice that she put into it. It wasn't just about her talent. She talked about how much training she had, how many 
theaters she was in, how much she rehearsed. You know, she acknowledged how much work that she put into her getting to the place where she was, even if some of the things that she may have wanted to happen didn't happen as soon as she wanted them to. So she had, she released a lot of albums um, over the course of her career. She did things like she performed at the Sing Sing Correctional Facility in 1970. And her last album was I Like I'm Young, which was released in 1972. Her last TV appearance was as a presenter at the 1973 Grammys, which was pretty funny. And there are, like I said earlier, there are a bunch of recordings of her work that are available today. So you can go watch her TV appearances and films and stand up. And she was also on the cover of the January 3rd, 1974 issue of Jet Magazine in a feature called Moms Mabley Raps About Old Women, Young Love. <laughs> 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 and she was also in the film Amazing Grace in 1974, which was uh, very near the end of her life, but it was her first starring role in a major film. She had a heart attack while she was filming Amazing Grace, and she got a pacemaker and she returned to filming after having that during the course of filming. But it did lead to her declining health. That said, she had no plans of slowing down, and she wanted to stay in show business. She died in 1975 in her home in Great Plains, New York, and Dick Gregory gave a eulogy at her funeral. Was beloved. Like, she, people did recognize the work and her importance in the field. And she set the stage for future Black feminist comics. Like, she really merged joy and resistance in her performance. I think those were, like you said earlier, Annie, like perfect way to put it. Like there were so many things that were, that may have seemed antithetical that she did in her work. There is a quote by the author, Caitlin Hell Wood, in the book, Cracking Up Black Feminist Comedy in the 20th and 21st Century United States, that um, I wanted to share. She said in the book, Moms was funny to audiences because she spoke the kinds of truths characteristic of older family and community members and because she strayed from the many other roles that older women are expected to occupy in white, ages, and heterosexist frameworks. So she was, she was really subversive in a lot of ways, but she was also a lot of fun. You know, she was full of joy. You can just tell in her interviews, the written ones, and in her work itself that she just had so much, um, she was full of so much life. And that she was having fun and doing what she was doing. And of course, that's a huge joy to watch and to listen to and to be able to bear witness to today. So yeah, long, long, very long career. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm just so impressed whenever anybody can find a way to, to combine, like, I really do think comedy can be something very powerful in a way to get people to listen more and to have these like deeper, edgier conversations and and have like these forms of protest. And the fact that she was able to make it look easy, even though, as you said, she practiced a lot and like really put her time into it and had fun doing it and then was making people laugh and people were connecting with her and that she had this long-lasting impact I just think he's so impressive. <laughs> I really, really think that's amazing. Yeah. She influenced a lot of comedy. I was like the first thing I thought of, and it makes so much more sense to me, is like the Carol Burnett show 
and uh, the Mama's Family show, which was based on a comedy, a woman who was fairly young dressing up as a grandma matronly character and just being sassy, essentially. And, And that's the whole thing. Yeah. And she started that. She began that. I can't imagine her having to figure out the best persona for her to fit but at the same time, as you said, kind of have that uh, dichotomy in order to kind of shock and make it seem unassuming of what she's going to talk about or what she's going to bring out. And then doing it as one of the first females, well, first women to mm-hmm. be in this industry, which is still hard to break into. It's still hard to get any respect that today and doing that and breaking the mold and being on all of these huge shows during a time and unfortunately, I'd hate to think what she would think of where we are today when we talk about women in comedy, black women in comedy, the respect for black people in general and black lives altogether. Uh, I'm so sad to think about that. But just in general, breaking through in these huge shows that were for white audiences when oftentimes black talent, their uh, material was being stolen at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And she was able to maintain and make a name for herself. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. She Her legacy is definitely very apparent. There are so many things that are still relevant to conversations today, like when it comes to how Black women are viewed and how they speak about sex, and women in general, and comedians, and how we speak about sex, and what we're allowed to say, how explicit we're allowed to be. When we're explicit, we're not fitting within a mold of appropriateness and what is expected of a woman. And yeah, it's just, and speaking out about social issues and it being something that maybe needs to be more tame, you know, for audiences to be able to consume it. Um, there's, I mean, always been issues like that that are at the forefront with Black comedians in general and are still still present today. And, and payment of people, like you said, Samantha, like recognizing people for their work and then on top of that, paying them adequately. Yeah, so... I am glad that she chose the career path that she did. <laughs> you know, as, as with so many people we talk about in these firsts, it's like, who's to say what where we'd be now or what people would have, you know, launched their own careers if these people did not exist? And it, it definitely seems that way for Moms Mabley. Like, she has such a huge influence on comedy and theater and Black performance, and glad that we could talk about her today. Yeah, I, I really want to go check out her uh, sets now. I need I need to find them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Fun homework. <laughs> <laughs> Delve into that. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I'm very glad that that exists, that that, that is still around and we can still find it. Um Well, as always, Eve, thank you so much for being here. It's always a delight. Where can the good listeners find you? They can find me on Instagram at notapologizing. I'm on Twitter at Eve's Jeffcoat. I'm on many, many episodes of Female First right here on Stuff Mom Never Told You. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And on the podcast Unpopular and episodes of This Day in History class talking about more people in history and more events in history, people that broke the mold or subversive, all of those things you can find if you're interested in more on those podcasts. Yes. And definitely go check that out. All of that 
If you haven't already, thank you again, Eve. We can't wait for the next installment. <laughs> and Yay. thank you, listeners, for listening. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I've never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you again for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.